You're about to listen to a message from the LifePoint Church, a warm and friendly home for the young at heart. Father, we thank you. We're so grateful. We're so grateful for everything that you are to us, for who you are, for your work, for loving us so much. Indeed, this is the definition of love. That a man would lay down his life for his friends. Thank you for showing us the standards of love. Thank you for revealing the quality of love and your intact fatherhood to us. We're so grateful. And we know that your revelation, your resurrection power permeates this atmosphere. We thank you because it is at work in us. We thank you for seeing eyes, for hearing ears. We thank you because you have prepared a word for each and every one of us in the room and online. And we will hear you clearly today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, please open with me your Bibles to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 24. So our focus is, well, the entire chapter, but we will not be reading the entire chapter. I'm just going to pick out some salient points um, because we want to give enough time to still just worship and, and thank God. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Today is um, a celebratory day for us. It is such an important day for us as believers. You know, it's the day where we look at the devil and all he represents. You know, it's a day we look at the pain, the suffering, the oppression, and whatever else has been trying to tell us the things that God hasn't said, prove to us otherwise God's counsel. We look all these things in the eyes and we are reminded that Jesus already took our place. He paid the price so that we can live in the way and manner God has intended. And so just looking through Luke 24, they're like four different sets of encounters that happen there. First of is the women who would go to the tomb. Uh, this was third day after Jesus had been buried. And the expectation, they went with spices. Let me read verse 1. Can we read verse 1 together if we have it up on screen? Perfect. One, two, go. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them, came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. This simple verse is very loaded. There are so many things that we can tease out of it. But for the purpose of this morning's message, the women who came were women that had prior interactions with Jesus. They witnessed his arrest. They witnessed his crucifixion. And so when they, were up, when they came to that tomb, it was with the mindset to reverentially take care of his decayed body. Now, when you meditate on that a bit, there are several questions that come to mind. And we see as it plays out in the corresponding verses. They would meet an angel who would say, or angels who would say to them, what are you people doing? Because, first of all, the stone had been rolled away. Secondly is, he wasn't in there. And so they were very confused. When you move to verses 4, it says, And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, 
that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So first off, they meet an empty tomb. They meet the stone rolled away. If you think about it a bit, did Jesus need the stone to be rolled away for him to have resurrected? When you read the Bible, you will see, I think, somewhere in the book of John, where scripture records that his disciples were in a room. There was a lot of oppression ongoing at that point in time. They, were, they had locked themselves up in a room, and Jesus showed up there. So it means that we, we can infer that Jesus had every capacity and ability to have left that tomb without the stone being rolled away. But I think it was important the stone was rolled away and that the, 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 the grave clothing was still in there to prove to you and I, and of course the people, the men and women of old too, that what he had said would happen was exactly what happened, one. Number two, if there's a high likelihood that today, because again, we know that Jesus, not only was he a biblical figure, he was a historical figure. People have been able to prove, Christians and non-Christians alike, have been able to prove that Jesus existed. He walked the face of this earth, that he died, and indeed he resurrected. There would have been arguments around, well, maybe Joseph of Arimathea colluded with his disciples and they didn't really put Jesus' body there. If you go to Matthew, the, um, the translation of this or the version of this story in Matthew, you would see where Pilate would very expressly instruct them to say, to secure the tomb. So Luke's account here doesn't tell us how secured that tomb was but there were actually guards placed in front of the tomb. So not only could his disciples have, you know, beaten up the guards and carried his body away, not only would they have been able to roll the stone because you would need men, so the women who came obviously could not have done the work, but we see that the stone was rolled away. We see there was an empty grave. And the angels would ask, why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for he that is risen? In a, place of lack, in a place of death, essentially. If you pause and you meditate on that a bit, the question to you and I this morning is, are we seeking the living among the dead? Is there a way we're currently living our lives where it looks like we are looking for life, where there isn't any source of life, where it isn't possible to get life out of? You are feeling the word. <laughs> Is it possible? Think about it. And I'm going to read a few ways where we do this. We, we, we look for Jesus because Jesus is life. Jesus says he's the way, he's truth, and he's life. In another verse, he would describe himself as the resurrection and life when he was having a conversation with Mary and Martha trying to explain to them that, look, you are weeping over the loss of your brother, but I am saying to you, the fact that I have shown up in this situation, you should be rest assured that 
things are going to turn around. But they did not get it when he said he's the resurrection and the life. They thought, well, we know that at the end of the age, we know at the end of time that, yes, dead will come back to life. If only you had showed up early. We are looking for Jesus. We are looking for life. Some of us don't even know that the life you are seeking is actually Jesus. It's synonymous to Jesus. But we are looking for things that will satisfy through dead situations, through dead opportunities, through things that present themselves as having the semblance of life, but they, are act they actually lead to death. We are trying to fill God-inspired or instilled void. We are trying to find love. We are trying to find acceptance. We are trying to find, to receive affirmation from everywhere except from the one whose word matters the most. Amen. So we look for Jesus sometimes in the dead things, in religious traditionalism, in formalism, in man's rules and systems, in human efforts, in substitutes of the flesh. We can never find Jesus ultimately in these things. We find him only where he is. Because he's resurrection and he's life. So he's the one that has been equipped and designed from the foundations of the earth to give us life. So you and I need to think about it. What am I grappling with? What is, this, where, what is my... Where is my hope and where is my assurance? Have I imbibed the way of the world so much that everything around me right now appears dead? Have I focused on every other thing except Jesus? Maybe I even used to know him. I used to have a relationship with him. But right now, that seems to be missing because the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, because the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, there are so many things. Religiosity and religion has taken me away from my first love. So today we said, oh, let's dress up and just let's be fancy because we usually don't dress up in life points. And let's do old school, you know. But just preparing for the message, the Holy Spirit reminded me, it's great. It's all the fun and excitement is really good. But you see... There are people in the room, there are people online who believe that what we're celebrating today is old. You know, it's old, it's, it's ancient. And I need them to return to that ancient path. I need them to return to that ancient path. And the lyrics of this song came to heart. We won't sing it, but I'll just read through some of the lyrics very quickly. It's the old rugged cross. It says, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross. We're the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Some of us still look at our Christian faith. We look at it as, it's for my parents. We look at it, we, 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 we process and we engage it as though, yeah, my, I mean, it's okay when I get, when I become like 35, you know, 40, I'll become serious with God. We look at it as right now in this century, it is uncool to be a Christian, tongue-talking Christian, and that's all that you are about. 
we look at it as if, you know, God is some ATM machine or the, an ATM that we go to when we have troubles and we dispense solution. When we need something, we dispense. But God is saying to remind us of those ancient parts. So as you have dressed up in your old school attire, your 80s and your 90s retro outfits, that you think about the efficacy and the potency of this sacrifice, because this sacrifice is still giving. It is still as powerful as it was then. When Jesus was crucified, if you read the various, go, go and read the Gospels and the description of the things that happened at his crucifixion. There were earthquakes. Veils were torn. The ground shook. It was a magnific magnificent event that people who were there, the centurion, the soldiers, they testified after the event that truly he must have been the son of God. That same power is still available and is still working. You see, that was even what they experienced that they encountered at his death. But three days later, exactly as he said it, it happened. He rose up and showed himself to these four categories of people. And so the women, they remembered. They remembered his words because the angels asked them, think about it. And you know, just reading that portion of scripture, I asked myself, how is it that when we are in the when we're in, in a mess, when we're in difficult situations, we struggle to remember the promises of God. We run from pillar to post. We, are, we, we fret, we're anxious. I mean, you might start off with that emotion, but to remain there as God's child is you not recognizing the authority that you have as a believer, not recognizing and making of little consequence the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We don't, it's not, I mean, I was listening to um, Pastor Aya on Friday just exhort us, and it's, a lot of us, it's when we are in the middle of challenges that we start to pray, and we start to declare the word. In fact, we don't even declare the word. We pray in tongues. You know, we, so, <laughs> when he was saying this, I remembered something that happened to me when I was in uni. I think maybe circa a year-ish after I'd gotten I was going to say genuinely saved, but you get the picture. That was the time I'd given my life to Jesus and I didn't take it back. I began to follow him closely, growing in my knowledge of him. You know, I was active in fellowship, studying the word a whole lot more. And so on this particular day, now if you went to, if you schooled in Unilag, you would know Morimi Hall, yeah? So I was living in Morimi and we have a, there's a particular floor that has like a rooftop. Where we, so we call it mountain top. Christians and uh, there are ways to make sure that everything sounds very serious. Anyway, we call this mountain top and we, all, I, we go there to pray from time to time and all that. So I just come back from studying that night from the library uh, or from a classroom. It was about 12-ish in the morning or in midnight. And so I said I wanted to pray. I went to mountain top and I was there just loving on God and just enjoying, just worshiping. I was the only person there. At least at the time I went in there. And as I was there, I was having so much, so much fun, just me and the Holy Spirit, just enjoying God's presence. 
I literally felt like my body was beginning to come out of, you know, my spirit was coming out of my body, like I was levitating. I was just having a lot of fun. And then all of a sudden, so mountaintop is like just this stage, squarish in nature. And I was facing this part, which sort of just looking into the heavens. Now behind me here is where the stairs are. And on that side of that uh, place, you had um, a water tank. There was a water tank there. Again, when I came up, I didn't notice anybody there. So I, I would say that I was the only person up on that floor at that time. But as I was praying here, I just, it was like I was seeing a vision of fire being lit. And so I turned and lo and behold, I saw fire burning just by the water tank area. I saw two humans huddled around the fire there. First of all, it was strange that you would have like firewood type fire burning in the middle of the night and just in that lone area. And so I continued praying, but guys, I promise you, fear had already crept in. Because again, by nurture, if you've grown up in churches where you cast and bind, where you're always attacking the devil, where you pray against spirits that come to chew up prayers and things like that, there's a way your mind is already conditioned. And so immediately I, I turned and I saw the fire. Ah, they have come for me. My tongues. I started shouting the tongues. I, I you know, I was going and I was praying and, and I was paralyzed to the spot. I said, having goosebumps, you know, should I run? I cannot run. I could not move. So I was, again, I turned, I'd seen the fire and I faced back and I said, praying in the Holy Ghost. As I was praying there, I could feel people walking towards me. So I turned again and I literally saw the two beings coming towards me. Ha! <laughs> Who did I offend? I was screaming. And there and then, you know, God is merciful, guys. He will meet us where we are. Amen. He will just not leave you where you are. But as I started shouting the tongues, there was this spirit of boldness that came upon me. And gradually my voice began to reduce. And I started declaring the word. I started declaring the word. You know, and I started speaking to the two beings. They had gotten halfway. Now, I don't share this story usually because, again, we're in a generation where everything sounds very superstitious and all. But they had gotten halfway and they disappeared. It has only ever happened to me once. I don't know why it was shortly after I became serious with God that that kind of manifestation decided to happen. I mean, I've been hearing stories about witches and wizards on campus. That's normal. Where you have plenty of human beings, some people will be borrowed vessels of the devil. That's just normal. But to actually have, because it, I was just having a me and God time, just me and God moment, enjoying my God. How did I disturb you? How did my prayers affect you that decided to come and, you want to use me as sacrifice? Was the fire set for me to offer me, you know? But as they disappeared, let's just say that my faith immediately, I just carried my belongings and I went to my room. Lest they decide to come back with reinforcements. But I remember getting to my room that night 
and I was sharing with my um, bunk mate. She and I were super close, and we used to pray together and stuff. And I said to her, what happened? And, and I mean, she could, she believed me, you know. And she's, we just worshipped God together that night, and we thanked him for victory. Maybe I should have done something more like finish them, you know, just give them finishing moves in prayer so that they would never again be able to oppress people. But God delivered me from that situation that night. My point is this. It is when we are in situations we, we, we fail to remember that God has already, I mean, Jesus already paid the price. That we have in us the same power that raised Christ from the dead. He dwells in us. That resurrecting power, that resurrection power dwells in us. That resurrection power allows us to have a different perspective to issues. That the same spirit that raised him, the same spirit that, eh, that occupies Jesus, the same spirit that orchestrated those, that three-day arrangement, is the same spirit you and I have. And so, some of us, we are just extremely sad. We have got the depression. And we are going from pillar to post. And I'm not saying, guys, hear me out, because I know in our generation we're very quick to say, well, these things are clinical issues, and we should talk about mental health issues with a lot more empathy. I am very empathetic. But the point is this. Sit with the word. The reason why the enemy oppresses us, some, some of us is financial issues. You've been in the same financial state for the longest time, struggling, and it just feels like this is tedious. You are, you, are, you are carrying a lot of, of pain and you are burdened, you are anxious, you are weary. You have embraced all of the emotions except the right emotion to, to, to embrace, which is an emotion that comes from the place of victory, the place of the assurance of your victory, that no matter what is going on, Jesus has gone through this so that I will not have to deal with this. Sometimes, Situations are prolonged because God is trying to teach us. He's trying to develop character in us. He's trying to build our character. He wants us, you know, to be able to engage with him as sons and not servants. Jesus will say, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. I call you friends. That is who we are to him. And he says that everything that I hear my father say is what I have made known to you. And it is contained in this word. For the resurrection power to work in you effectively, you need to understand its benefits. You need to know who you are. You need to stay at the feet of the Father to be nourished by him. He makes his mysteries known to his children. He would say of an Abraham, will I do this thing and not let him know? These were people that did not even have the benefit of the, of the grace and the covenant of redemption that we have, that you and I enjoy. They didn't have these things. And yet, how were they able to engage God outside of the provisions of redemption? How did they engage God? I don't have much time. I spoke about four encounters, right? I've spoken about the first. The second one was, you know, how Peter, and if you read the translation in John, it speaks about how it was Peter and John that came to the tomb when the women went to report to them, very excitedly, they said, I do talk. They said they, they, they were blabbing. A translation um, describes I do talk as the insane words of a fevered person, someone who's suffering from malaria and hallucinating. I mean, 
Jesus, these were people that ate and drank with him. They were people he revealed things to, told them what was to come. But you see, that miracle was one that they had. They had seen him raise the dead, but they just, their minds could not embrace the fact that he really is coming back. There was nobody that they told us was seated, crossing their legs, sipping pina colada, and just saying, ah, maybe in another, what, 72 hours, Jesus will be here soon. He'll be back. I'm waiting for him. They said, Peter marveled. John believed what the women said. The third group of people were the disciples that were on the way to Emmaus. And Jesus walked with them, listening in on their conversation. And he said, he asked them, why is your countenance so down? Why are you sad? The, the, the apostle that, or the disciple that re responded, Cleopas, I think that guy either has Yoruba heritage. He said, have you not been in this place? Have you not been in Jerusalem? Do you, don't you know what's going on? Because that's a natural Yoruba man's response. I'm Yoruba, so I know. Say, sure, Rini. Didn't you not hear? That was how they asked Jesus. Because again, scripture says that they had been restrained from recognizing him. And so they responded from the place of their pain. Oh, we've lost something. We've lost someone very dear to us. And you're asking us stupid questions. And Jesus would say, you know, he will continue to engage them further. Please go and read Luke 24 when you get home, before you, you know, finish eating. You can even read while you're eating your rice, your Easter rice and chicken. Just read it. Before he finishes, I mean, before they, they go further, he would then explain, this, but I thought this person was supposed to do one, two, three things. And these guys would go ahead to affirm who Jesus is. Oh, he was a, you know, he, he, he had the ministry of the prophet. He was sent, blah, blah, blah. And, they, and then the women told us that he had resurrected, you know. And some people even went and confirmed. They told Jesus all the issues ongoing. Jesus would respond to them. Sorry, I have to open my Bible. I thought I had um, extracted a portion of the scripture. Verse 25. Then he said to them, this is still Luke 24. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? If he had said that, maybe this is why you believe that these guys were really not Yoruba people or Nigerians. Because you would have chopped slap. For calling them foolish. You don't know people. You just see them on the road. You must be very foolish to not have known that these things. But again, let's focus on the, on the message here. Slow of heart to believe. Slow of heart to believe. Sometimes that is me. Sometimes that may be you. Slow of heart to believe. See, I underlined the word heart because I, 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 I believe very strongly that it is a very important, it, it's a vital part for our faith. God would look at the heart, the state of the heart. He would consider the state of the heart to do many things. He would consider the state of our heart. Sometimes in making very critical decisions when it comes to us. Hence why people like Abraham could enjoy that level of intimacy that they had with him. Hence why someone like a David, David was the only king who functioned not just in his kingly office, but in a prophetic office too. 
He was the only one. And God would refer to a David, a man after my heart. He would look and say, Job. You know, I heard somebody say it at a vigil on Friday. That Satan was asked, guy, what have you been up to? God called Satan. What have you been up to? What have you been doing? And he would say, I have been walking up and down the earth, to and fro. I've been walking to and fro the earth, up and down. You know, and the person said, walking up, sorry, walking to and fro. Going up and down. When you visually think about that, that represents the sign of the cross. So even in the midst of Satan's up and downness, to and froness, God will say, have you seen my servant Job? Not because Satan has not seen him. You see, what was his response? He said, it's because you have built a hedge. Just let me touch him. And how did Job position to be that type of person that would enjoy divine protection so much so that it was a problem for the enemy? It was a problem for Satan. He had to, when he, it was, his case file was brought out, he said, God, you are behind, you are in front, you are about. I can't access him. How did Job cultivate God's presence so much so that he became that person? Go and read the book of Job. You will see how, even when it came to his children, Job honored God. Job feared God. His children might be anyhow, but he would make sure, after they have gone to do their anyhowness, he would bring them. Oh yeah. Because he understood what it meant to be completely devoted to God in life, in action. So he valued the relationship that he had with God. As we celebrate Christ's resurrection today, you and I need to come up higher. We need to come up higher in our walk with God, where he becomes the center of our attention, the center of our lives, where it is his will above all else that matters, where we are sold out to him and we no longer continue to think that this old way the Oleku styles we're seeing, you know, we no longer continue to think that our Christian faith belongs to our parents and to their own parents. And for us, yeah, life is easier. God is a God of grace, but he's also a God of truth. So we can be anyhow and just come to church on Sunday. We know that BWS will lead us in a prayer. We'll rededicate our hearts to Jesus. We'll go again. That is not growth. That is disdaining. The work done on Calvary, that is deeming it as being of no consequence. So as I wrap up today, the resurrection power silences the enemy, prevents the actions of, of evil people, removes you from a place of fear and establishes you in a place where you have been redeemed so that you can walk in the fullness of the redemption gifts that you have received. And it's important that we understand and we internalize it so that we can begin to have a new perspective to our engagement of this world. That you don't go out just anyhow. You recognize that you carry power. That same spirit that raised Jesus from dead dwells in you. If it dwells in you, 
if it dwells in you, scripture says it quickens your mortal body. And it's not just your mortal body. It quickens your intellect. It quickens your mind. It energizes your spirit. It helps you overcome sin. It helps you look at guilt and shame and condemnation and say, bye-bye past. I am redeemed. I have been bought with a price. I am worth the blood of Jesus. So Satan, you can no longer continue to keep me under. Releases you from the grip of oppression. Whether it's in your health, in your finances, in your marital destiny, whatever it is, the resurrection power has the capacity to do way more than we give it credit for. And so let us pray. All across the room, yeah, please ask that we rise as we pray together and we just, once again, if you, have, if you have a prayer language, just go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost. Go ahead and pray in the Holy Ghost. Just enforcing this redemption capabilities that you have. This grace that you have received. Just begin to enforce it over every area of your life in the name of Jesus. Declare that things are working for you. Declare that that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and quickens me, strengthens me, removes depression from my life, breaks the hold of oppression. Go ahead and declare. Because Jesus lives, you live. Because Jesus lives, you live. That is what we're celebrating today. That he's alive. So because he lives, I live. I live. For someone here, you have, there's a stronghold of the fear of death. You live in perpetual fear that you will die. Would you declare life over yourself? Because Jesus lives, I live. Because Jesus lives, I live. Go ahead and make that declaration over yourself. You have power and you need to put that power to use. So if there be anything in your life that isn't working right now, would you present it before God and declare that the same power that raised Jesus up from dead dwells in me. And so I'm speaking over this situation and I am declaring life. I am declaring life. Everything that represents death around you, begin to speak life. Speak life over them. In the name of Jesus. God would have a conversation with Ezekiel in the book of uh, Ezekiel 37 from verses 11. Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, and this is what people say. This is what some, some of us are saying in this country. Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy, God speaking to Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. Would you declare over your life and say, I am coming out of every grave, every situation that appears dead. I come out of it right now in the name of Jesus. I am coming up from them. God is bringing me out from whatever isn't aligned with the promises of redemption. God is bringing me out from whatever isn't alive, aligned with the promises of redemption. I am coming out. I enter into my promised position in the name of Jesus. I come out of every grave. Right now, we break the seal. 
we roll the stone away. Every situation that, uh, that is a grave situation, that, that is a dead situation. Oh, whatever forces of darkness have, have, have done, you know, whatever covenants have been enacted from time immemorial on your behalf, whether by your parents' parents, today we scatter them by reason of the resurrection power. In the name of Jesus, we apply that blood that you are completely worth and deserving of. We apply that blood over your life. We draw the blood lines right now. In the name of Jesus, and we say sickness, no longer shall you continue to torment. In the name of Jesus, depression, no longer shall you continue to harass. In the name of Jesus, mental health issues, no longer shall you continue to afflict. In the name of Jesus, we draw the bloodlines. We declare that members of LifePoint, we enter into our promised possession. That which God has said concerning us. That which has been written concerning us. We begin to walk fully in, in the manifestation and the reality of these promises. In the name of Jesus, we command every grave, open up and deliver up God's people right now. In the name of Jesus, manda kuza tabaya. Verse 14 of that Ezekiel 37 says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. I will establish you is what God is saying. He will put his spirit. Would you go ahead and declare that a fresh baptism of God's spirit upon you right now. A fresh baptism, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That as you go, you go in the strength of this resurrection power. You go anointed for exploits. You go anointed for the good deeds, the good works that God had beforehand ordained you to walk in. In the name of Jesus, our Father and our God, we thank you. We give you all praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed and agreed. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to a message from the LifePoint Church. To download more free messages, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash LifePointNG.